Hallelujah. Can we do that now? Jesus. Jesus. We love you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, God. Lord, I appreciate you, Jesus, so much. Thank you, mighty God. Isn't God good today? Why don't you turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, and say, Isn't God good today? Hey, man, we're not worried about what happened Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Thursday and Friday and Saturday are behind us. God is good today. Hey, man, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Praise God. He is so good today. Hey, man, if you were here early for prayer, for song practice, hey, man, for fellowship, you got a little bit of taste of God. Hey, man, I'm excited about what God is going to do for the rest of the day. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. He is so good. Amen. I feel him in this place. If you have your Bible today or if you want to look up on the screen, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to talk a little bit about kingdom principles today. 10 verse 43 and 44. We're going to reference this scripture uh, quite a few times, or at least more than once today in the lesson. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Say, minister. Say, your minister. All right. Now, point to yourself and say this. You can repeat, or you can say it with me. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Amen. God is good. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Praise, worship, musician, sound, media team. Amen. Us humans, we have a problem. We want to be good. Yeah, you think, no, I never do that. Yeah, we do. We want to be better than another person. That is our, that's our sin or human nature, whatever you want to say. And it also, and we're going to get to in this in a little bit. We, it comes into and creeps into the church. Sometimes we don't do about us preachers. We talk about ourselves because that's the best example that we have. And sometimes it might come across as you are like, look what I did. We have evangelists that come through and tell about the revivals, how God healed them. And sometimes they, the, the wording gets into the way. Like what I did was I brought this lady up. I brought this lady up and she sat there and I spoke to her and I looked at her and I got the oil and, we, and I prayed for her. And, and it sounds like he's doing the promoting and he's not intentionally doing that. I pray that he's not. But yet sometimes that could slip in as well too. But God does the miracles. God does it. God is the center. Are, where are we at for that? And that's what we're going to talk about, some principles about that. Is it us? Are we promoting ourselves when we get up here, when we go out to the street? Are we promoting ourselves or are we promoting the church of God? Are we trying to win the lost? Are we telling what we've done? See, the, the thing what I like or dislike, you could say, is uh, we don't know each other. 
Brother Rudd, I don't know your, your life story, your, where you came, how you were a minister, how you were out in sin. I don't know that. We've talked a little bit about, about going, we've gone out to dinner or something like that. I don't know that. I can't assume to know that I am better or he is better than me. I can't do that. I can't put one person above the other. I can't do that. We don't know that. And sometimes I, I know I've heard ministers come across where you don't know anybody out in that congregation. And so you want to allow the Holy Ghost to flow through you and speak to you and talk to people. I was, um, I, uh, I picked up, I picked up a guy, a hitchhiker, and going up to West Vir or Virginia, Norfolk, in 1987. And uh, his name was Frank. And uh, we, I started witnessing to him. I just dropped off of another guy in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and I was going up from Jacksonville, Florida, to, to Virginia Beach. And uh, so I started witnessing to him, playing Carmen music. You guys remember Carmen? Radically saved, a a addicted to Jesus, whatever it was back then. I'm not sure if those came out yet. And uh, he's like, man, you remind me of this guy that witnesses to me all the time. I said, oh, great, great. I, I went to church, and the preacher went up, and he's like, all of you guys are sinning. You know how to do that, and you're going to go to hell. And, and he pointed at me. I said, listen, he did not point at you. All right, I was trying to be in the Holy Ghost and say, no, he, he's making a statement. If we, a broad account to do that, we need to follow God. These things are we need to do. God tells us about if we're not you know, baptized in Jesus' name. We don't, you know, that's the way to get remission of sins and filled with the Holy Ghost and blah. And I know I'm go talking fast here. But he goes, but you remind me of this guy that brought me to that church. So I went to the church, and I didn't, uh, I dropped Frank off. I didn't see him, but I went out uh, to lunch with a guy named Ron Conway. And we went out, and I started telling him about Frank. And he goes, did he wear a bandana and, like, cut off jeans or cut jeans, like, whole, like, rag? Yeah. He goes, did you drop him off at VP, you know, 22, the squadron? Yeah. He goes, I dropped him off. He, he, he's the guy. So I, he went to a United Pentecostal church, Frank did, met with Ron, and Ron brought him. He's, Ron goes, had a girlfriend in Jacksonville, his wife now, and dropped him off in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I picked him up outside of Jacksonville, North Carolina. It was the same God. God put us in that situation. So I knew, hey, God was in the middle of it. Um. So, actually, I said all that just to say, you gotta when you gotta be careful how you how you receive stuff when you're when you're preaching. Somebody's preaching to you. Somebody's talking to you. Uh, that you have to be careful how you give stuff out as well too. Are you promoting Jesus? Are you promoting what you're thinking in your mind? So, boy, I just said that. That's why I got my whole message here today. But we're gonna get into it. If you want to be the president of the United, of the United States, you're going to have to get some money out of your pockets. You're going to have to dig deep. Not only that, you're going to have to uh, ask your friends. We're, we're going to Bishop, brother, brother Bruce. Do you have a just you know only five hundred million? We could we could borrow. I want to become president, right? I mean, you're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to go out. You're going to have to. Uh, um, just go out on a limb, do things, sell things, uh, ask for things. The, I don't know if you can do GoFundMe for presidential campaigns, but you're going to have to do something like that. You never know. So, uh, so there was a uh, approximately $5.7 billion spent on the 2020 election campaign, and that was twice as, over twice as much as the 2016 campaign. 
Then Senator Joe Biden set a record, and he only set the record because he outraised President Donald Trump. Um, at, or he wasn't president at that time. Then he became president, of course. Um, but he, he outraised President Trump by a quarter of a billion dollars, which were both records, of course. Donald Trump would have been first, but Joe Biden beat him out with spending. Yet why spend so much? Was it for the paycheck? Joe Biden spent 2,500 times more than his little $400,000 salary as president. He spent 2,500 times more than 400000 But don't cry for him yet. When they leave office, they're usually able to transition their experience into profitable speaking and book deals. Uh, however, it takes a lot of events to get a billion dollars. But don't worry, they do other stuff too and to get things and people donate them and they have dinners and, and you've, you've, if you ever listen to some of the, uh, the radio stations, they have, hey, come down $2,500 to eat while, President, or while, while Governor DeSantis speaks or, or something or, or Mrs. DeSantis speaks. So they do raise money. Uh, you know, I know I'm, I remember hearing like one of the biggest ones is when uh, the senator from San Francisco, Nancy, I mean the, the House, uh, Congresswoman uh, had a dinner there, and I can't even remember. I just thought, wow, I would not spend that much money just to be in the room. And it kind of goes on a little bit about what we're talking about today, about just to be in the room, to get that attention, to get a picture with somebody famous, to shake somebody's hand, to rub shoulders with them, because that's what human nature, that's what we want to do. We want to seem important. So why do they spend so much money trying to become president? And the answer become, can be summed up in a single word. Does anybody know it? Power. The most powerful person in the world, the chief executive's influence extends all around the globe. It doesn't matter if you agree with the president or not. He is uh, the most powerful individual in the world. You might think, of like when Donald Trump was president, you might think, oh my God, this guy has a potty mouth. He's thinking, he's doing this, he, he can't get off of this, he's making insults, he's doing things like that. And then you might think, uh, this president here, by this president is incompetent, you know, President Biden, he's doing that. It doesn't matter. The position that they're holding is the most powerful position in the world. Why does everybody in the world either hate us and at the same time want to be here? Because of our republic, because of our democracy that we have here. Their policies impact the lives of millions of resident, uh, residential uh, United States residents. Pre presidents can cause financial markets to fluctuate with just an offhand remark. We've seen that. They can send American troops to fight on foreign battlefields with a stroke of the pen. They can blow up weather balloons out of the sky with just a word. They may determine the fate of industries and enterprises with a single executive order. It seems this, more, uh, this is more prevalent every day now. We, we see, I mean, how, during the balloons that came over and the Chinese spy balloon, and then we really weren't sure the other balloons, but now some, there's a group that's claiming that it was just one of their, hot, their, their club balloons. 
and stuff like that. Look how many narratives have changed over the last two weeks with the train derailment, with the earthquakes and that. Everything can change, and you know that these countries are contacting the President of the United States because of his power and his influence, no matter what's happening. Your name's always in the headlines. Historians are going to fight over the privilege to tell your story. That level of power and influence and prestige, uh, prestige comes with steeper price tags. To me, the mo to be the most prominent polit political figure excuse me, in the world, you have to be willing to do nearly anything to earn that privilege. The other night, I was talking to Pastor and Jorge, and I, th I did this in reverse. Um, but think about the, what the president has to do. Now shrink that down to our little bodies, our, li our lives that we have. We're not, I didn't mean like little, I meant comparison size of our responsibilities. We don't have the really literally the weight of the world on our shoulders, but we do have souls. So are we going to be the most critical person to the lost? Or are we going to be the most critical person to our peers? In other words, are we going to be, no, you need me. You know, I'm here. I'm super important to you. Or are we super important to the world? So if you bring it down to our level, we understand that we are human. And if I'm not making any sense, I apologize. But we have to understand that we have to watch what we say, watch how we act. It all has to be for the kingdom of God, reaching the lost, ministering to the saints, we all have to understand that. Historians argue, argue who's the greatest president that was ever. Well, only four of them got uh, etched or uh, in the side of a mountain. Maybe the other 44 or so are, are jealous or whatever, but they're not on the side of the mountain. It probably takes a lot to get us on a mountain. And maybe sometimes, maybe that's our goal is to, to, to be influential like that. And uh, we will probably never see our likeness on there. But we do want our influence. I was talking to my son not too long ago, and, and he, he made this comment, and he said, Dad, wait, you don't, think you, you don't think you had any influence on my life? And I was like, it, it wasn't a good conversation. Let me just say that. And I was like, no, I pray to God I do have influence on your life because I'm your dad, and I want you to, I want you to do things that are correct and right. And so I mention I tell you I talk to you we we have a long talks and stuff like that but I'm not going to force you to do anything in life I, that I want but I want to have influence on you and so that goes down to our witness and our testimony at work are we forcing my coworker, whose name is Phil he's an awesome guy am I forcing him what I believe or am I an influence on him there's a difference. When I'm up here behind this pulpit, which is an honor and a respectful place, am I forcing you to do what I do, to be the same way I am? Or am I doing it as an influence? Like, this is, this is what I do. This is how God blesses me. This is how things, and, and I'm over here listening to pastor talking or bishop talking. And I'm like, man, I, I want that in my life as well, too. Or I could sit there and say, no, I, I don't want that in my life as well, too. 
but it's an in, I'm influencing somebody. So when we're out there in the world, when we're, when we're doing what Brother Richard does with the pool service and stuff, and when we're doing what Brother Roger does out there with all these uh, 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 elderly folks in the home, are we an influence to them? What I, and not only that, in our lives. Boy, that's, uh, I went off there on a little tangent. Excuse me. Whoever, Jesus addressed this basic human desire when he told his disciples, whoever desires to become great among you should be or shall be your servant. Jesus explained the road to true greatness does not run along the path of ego, self-promotion, or unchallenged authority. Greatness is not about having a sculpture in your honor or gaining a million followers on social media. True greatness comes when one person humbly serves another even when no one else notices and we have to be careful of that how many likes the sound of their own voice it's not a trick question sister melody you like the sound of your voice she's a beautiful voice i hate the sound of my voice i listen to the recording and i'm like oh how that but i talk a lot i love people so I can't do that. I don't know sign language, and neither do you. So I have to use my voice to do that. But I have to be careful that if not forcing, I'm an influent. I'm not saying, oh, look at me. Look, I did this. I was over here. I did this at this place and that place. I got to be careful because who do you know best besides maybe your spouse? You know your, your, yourself the best than anybody else. And so when we say we talk about ourselves because we know ourselves. And so when I'm talking to you, I am probably going to talk a lot. Right. And I hope you do the same. But not everybody really likes the sound of their own voice. But boy, we we get accused of that sometimes. That's just a little email pearl 101 there. If the disciples did not fully understand his words when he said that, uh, whoever wants to be great needs to be a servant. He says this. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Amen. Imagine the disciples' humiliation when Jesus asked them what they were arguing about during our scriptures. And they deserved to be embarrassed. Mark 9, 34 says they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. How could they do that? How could they do that? But I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you that Renee and I started watching The Chosen. If you've seen it, that, that's all. You, you know, if you haven't, I, I recommend it. Be, I know Christian movies sometimes can be super corny. They can just bad acting, really bad sound, bad graphics, all, all that stuff. But what The Chosen is about the disciples and Jesus there. And you get a picture of what it was really like there, what it could be. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't always a robot following Jesus. Some of them had arguments. Some of them were, you know, especially Peter, right? Some of them had issues at home. Some of them had issues with other things. Or, or, and, and what they do in this story is they tell you the story, and then they fill in some things that might not have worked, might not have been there, might not. But it's, you know, it's a movie, and they're, they're doing that. I, I know I, I am a very big fan of the character Tarzan. I know pretty bad for an apostolic guy to, to like a, a half-naked guy running around. But that started in seventh grade. And so now I don't have Tarzan pictures or anything. I don't have any figurines or any of that. I have some books that I have, right? And so when they made the movies of Tarzan, and I go watch it, and I look, what in the world? That had nothing, it had nothing to do with Tarzan. I know the date that he, his parents 
wrecked on the on Africa. I know that date. They, they didn't have a tree house, uh, you know, stuff like that. So when we're watching this film, I prayed and I said, God, don't let me, don't let me do that with this. Let me have an open mind and understanding. Because when they argue with Jesus, we know Jesus rebuked them in the Bible. So they, they put in these scenes. And so it's kind of cool and understanding. So with this lesson and about the great, I can see that. I can vividly see that in this movie where they're wanting to be great. You know, they wanted to be the best. They wanted to do that. And I'm like, ah. And then the other, other disciples getting on their case, like, what are you doing? What are you talking? So it's really cool. So a lot of times when we're reading the Bible, we see it as a strict. This is it. This is, you know, all. It's just what Jesus said here and times four because it's the gospel. But there's so much more into that because they were human. And some had ups and downs, as we know. It must have sounded silly to the Lord, their argument. And uh, sometimes the best way to gain perspective on disagreement is to take it to Jesus, right? Are we taking it to Jesus? How many times do we react and not respond? <sighs> okay, hold on. Let's pray a little bit. I mean, I'm a firm believer. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. So I, I'm not going to wait a day. I'm going to pray right there, and I'm going to take my breath and do all that. I'm not. I, I don't want to do that. I never want to hold. I don't want to feel uncomfortable at all. I, so, but I understand that I react sometimes. Just ask Renee instead of responding and taking a breath and doing that. Concern about social standing is a natural human trait. I think I mentioned that. We want to be known for making the best grades, being the most athletic, or being the most physically attractive. Even as adults, we don't shake this obsession. We want to drive nice cars, live in big, or the biggest home, or big homes, or make the most money. And some are willing to exhaust ourselves to get these status symbols. It has been well documented that we will spend money we do not have to impress people we don't even like. Even church people can get caught. That was the world of people. Hopefully that's not in the church. But even us church people can get caught up in a sort of social standard. Maybe not to the same degree, but we debate among ourselves who's the most gifted preacher, singer, or musician. You don't believe me? Look at Facebook or Instagram or what church or what conference is at the top of the list. We work hard so our church or our ministry will be highly regarded by our peers. I have always been a firm believer. If you don't I mean, I have a witness, it's my wife, I don't care where I sit in that stand. I want to be the best for God and truly ministers of the gospel that have ever been elevated to certain places of leadership in our church, in our, in our community, in the district, even in the United States or the world, they have that humble spirit that I want to do what's right in God's kingdom. And if somebody acknowledges that if God acknowledges that that's the way it is but we're not passing out our name for votes you know we're not we're not doing that kind of stuff if you know what I mean we debate them on ourselves about all this stuff we work so hard like the disciples we want to be the conversation when people are discussing greatness and so you got to be careful when you are someone like John Maxwell or, or Brother Bernard and you write these books, you are writing them to help other people. 
you are writing them to, I want. It's kind of like, we're going to heaven, church. And so when we, when we talk to somebody about God, we're not saying, look at us. We're going to heaven and you're not. Oh, no. I mean, I know that sounds really simple, but it's the same, it's the same as us when we get elevated to a position of authority or leadership. We are still ministering. We are still that humble person. Jesus didn't immediately just launch into a, a, a rebuke, even though we know he has. Uh, instead, he had a lesson. If any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all, in Mark 9.35. To explain this, he showed them, that a, child, uh, showed them a child and said to his, his disciples, Mark 9.37, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. I'm waiting on this, the chosen film we're watching. I'm waiting for this. I don't know if they, they might have passed it and didn't really do this, but I'm excited to see that. <clears throat> so I was excited about the lesson. Kids usually don't worry about most things that we adults obsess over. I'm sorry, Pastor. Little Valor or Sophia is probably not going to commend you on that well-crafted lesson. They don't stay awake at night fretting of who was not at church last Sunday. They're not likely to notice our, our trendy clothes. But they do notice when we show them genuine love, right, and concern. They have an uncanny ability to spot a phony. They know who really cares and who does not, and they respond accordingly. Choose, uh, children usually cannot repay the love we show them either. Our children's lar largest offerings are probably not pouring in from the toddler class. They typically do not give their Sunday school teachers birthday cards or appreciation cards stuffed with cash. Ministering to children who require so much and return so little usually doesn't bring us recognition or a reward. But Jesus assured us, when we humbly receive the weakest and lowliest in his name, we are receiving him. Jesus also promised that we have a heavenly father who openly rewards the good that is done in secret. According, you know, it is so, you get so much blessing. You, you've blessed people secretly, right, before. You have done, it is such a blessing to see their face, and they have no clue. They don't know anything about it like that, and, and you're, like, just feeling good because you don't need to be in that limelight. You don't need to do that. You know what? And, and sometimes they do know, and it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't. So that, 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 that is a cool thought. Sometimes, you know, when, oh, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you this, it doesn't really feel the same. Uh, as in, like, just, man, they're a blessed. That is great. They're wonderful. They are it's awesome what God's doing in their lives, and if I had, was able to bless them, and now they're even blessed more, that is great, and just leave it at that. According to Jesus, true greatness is showing kindness to others in, in the spirit of humility. You want to be first? Well, you'll be last and last of all and servant of all. Greatness is teaching that Sunday school class, is, is teaching that Sunday school class that no one else wants to teach. Greatness is cleaning the toilets or taking the trash out at church. It's blisters and calluses at an all-day uh, work day at the church. It's showing up for prayer meeting after a long day at work when you really just want to go home. 
It's driving out to your uh, out of your way to pick somebody up for church. It's faithfully serving on the job even when your boss does not seem to notice. It's remaining faithful to a struggling uh, marriage when an unsafe when when you have an unsafe spouse in the relationship. It is responsible or it's responding to hate with kindness and choosing reconciliation over retaliation. Greatness is having a servant's heart. There was a minister, Erwin Lutzer, is quoted saying this. How do you know when you have a servant's heart? Well, you look at your reaction when you're treated like a servant. I could drop the mic and walk away, right? Oh, we don't like it, do we? Brother Pearl, yeah, can you, here's, here's this um, scrubber. Can you go clean that toilet? The good thing is, here I'm bragging on myself, so you guys can just, you know, do that. Is I cleaned a lot of toilets. And I know that's where, I was told that's where ministry starts. And I know it's a joke, but it, what it is, it's the act of doing it. It's not the toilet, it's not the brush. It's uh, being humble enough to do something like that. None of us appreciate being treated inferior to anyone else. Yet Jesus said, if the world, if the word, I can't, see, I can't speak right. Allie, you don't have a book on my uh, mistakes either, do you? Because there's a lot of them. If the world hates you, in John 15, 18, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Isn't that neat? The world hated Jesus before they hated us. But Jesus loved us before we loved him. Those that knew Jesus did not recognize his greatness until after they crucified him. Like Jesus, we are all more likely to carry a cross than to wear a medal. So we can ask ourselves, who wants to be servant of all? What did you want to be when you were young? A job that came with prestige and a large paycheck, like a doctor, a lawyer, a professional athlete, a a astronaut. As we grow, that's why your mom said, you want to become an astronaut, not a cowboy. I, wanna, I, I had the cowboy, the guns, the hat, everything. It was great. But as we grew older, we may have discovered joy and fulfillment in another line of work that closely matched our gifts. Many successful individuals have found out that serving others and a financial reward can go hand in hand. It can, and then it might not, but it can. Oh, I don't want to do that because that's my gift, but I'm making so much money at it. Well, God's blessing you to do that. You do what you want to do. It's a gift if you can use it for the kingdom of God, and then you ha can give to others. Brother, uh, Brother Bruce, Bishop Bruce and I were talking about Amway the other day. And what, I don't know if they pitched it this way, but if you make money, you can give more to the church. Oh, yeah. Oh, Renee, you remember that? Then it turned into something else. Amen. They, it's not a lie, but that's not why you do it, to make more money. You do it to serve others. You, your job, I'm saying, not... Not Amway. You want to get out of it. You don't want to do that stuff. If you're doing that, then that's great. And you're here at church, so it hasn't, it hasn't took over your life yet. It's a joke. Nobody's laughing. 
Ultimately, we serve, we serve others by serving God. As we follow him and submit his, to his word, he's going to direct us in the areas of service that most likely match our talents. I, I just mentioned that. He created us to serve with joy, and he loves us. He has prepared a place for us in his kingdom, a place of service. We get in trouble when, when we try to prioritize, prioritize position over service. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus promised the 12 disciples that they would sit upon the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Mark 10 says James and John came to him with a follow-up request. They even brought their mom as a reference. When Jesus asked what they wanted, they said, grant us that we may sit, in Mark 10, 37, one on the right and one on the left in glory. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. Too many are guilty of seeing only the perks of certain positions, but overlook the sacrifices and struggles that happen behind the scenes. So many times we've heard uh, pastors come up and say, you don't want to do this job because we don't see the sacrifice and the, the pain, the grief, the praying, the, the, the fasting that goes on behind the scene. Most of us don't see it. But the ones that are praying for our pastor do see it and they understand that and they will pray for him because they understand that we don't get woken up with calls like that he does we don't get bugged like he does we don't get pulled aside after church like he does i pull him aside every once in a while say hey how you doing all that and but we don't get that and so there's a hundred thousand things going through a pastor's mind at all times so we need to understand to continue to pray for the servant of God, our pastor. People want to be the leader until a crisis arises, right? You've heard that before. Maybe I'll sit this one out and second guess their decisions. Armchair quarterback. Thank goodness it's not me, you might even be thinking. It is easy to become frustrated when it seems God's overlooking us while promoting others. Anybody's been there? Wait, why did that? Whoa, what happened? What just happened here? I'll talk to your boss. It, you know what I mean? Well, we got to be careful of that. But he knows what we can handle. He loves us too much to give us everything we think we want when we want it. Now, listen to this. There, remember, there's a difference between God giving you the green light and you driving out into the intersection without looking. God knows whether you're ready for the pressure that will come at the next level of service. It's better to bloom where he plants you than to be destroyed being promoted too quickly and hit by a red light runner. What did we learn a few years ago? Maybe God's answer is wait. Wait at this intersection. I know the light looks green, but you don't know what's coming down the road. God knows when we're ready. And the time's right. The door's going to open. You're going to look both ways. It's clear because God cleared it. And I'm saying don't have faith. I'm saying you've got faith. God's giving you that faith. Amen. God's giving you faith. I mentioned last time. God's giving you faith to paint the fence. But sometimes you've got to go out and buy the paint. God will call our number and we'll experience success because we trust it in his timing. Unfortunately for James and John and the other ten disciples over, that overheard their conversation with Jesus, they were not happy 
about Jesus' response. Maybe they should have uh, thought to ask Jesus for that. Maybe they just wanted the resumes, or the, the other disciples, maybe they were thinking, maybe we should have asked him. Or maybe they just wanted their resumes to be at the top of the stack. We, we know in Congress, didn't somebody recently, I don't really know who it is, I think a Republican, just, he decided just to put anything on his resume. Just to, just to get voted in. I'm telling you, it doesn't, it's not just a, I mean, it's a human nature, okay, that we struggle with, of trying to be top dog. It is. And it doesn't matter, it actually it probably gets worse the more successful you get, the more temptation, the more trying it on you, the more weight it drags down to you. And up there without God, man, it, and you can go all the way down that rabbit hole, as I, we were talking about the other night, but... Uh, you man thank god thank god that there's an apostolic movement a oneness movement that is holding as much as this country together as possible thank god for that jesus took this opportunity to share the important kingdom principles with them they were imitating Gentile rulers by seeking after power and position. Mark 10, 42, and they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But in God's kingdom, the path to power is not flexing your muscles or stomping on anyone who gets in the way. And Mark uh, 10, 43 says, but so shall it not be among you. Hey, guys, you don't need to act that way. You cannot act that way. And then we read again uh, some of these scriptures in Mark 10, 43 through 44. Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. Jesus then used his own life as an example. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. To see the true example of servant leadership, look to Jesus. And then try to manifest that in your life, no matter if you're at work, if you're behind this pulpit, if you're in a Sunday school room, if you're leading the service, if you're playing an instrument, if you're greeting someone at the door, or wherever you are at a grocery store. Try to understand that you are here to win them as a servant. You are there to minister to someone else. He turned 12 ordinary men back then to, into a movement that claimed up to 2020, 2.5 billion followers. He did not commission his followers to make converts by the sword, as we, we heard about on Thursday night, but power, or a display of power, but rather putting God first and loving their neighbors as themselves. Because of this, the church has become a global force for good and has thrived while being persecuted. Serving others means telling them about Jesus. Like the book of Act believers, we are also called to turn this world upside down. How many wanted to do that? Turn this world upside down. I want to. That can seem overwhelming and a challenge at first. The world is in a terrible mess. And we must remember that God does not hold us accountable for what we cannot control. We can pray, but we probably can't control a lot of the stuff we pray over. I can't control my kids' actions. My coworkers that just seem so lost. 
I can't control them, but I can pray for them. And when I do encounter them, I can serve them. He simply calls us to take responsibility for what happens within our sphere of influence. Making a difference. And be, by, by, besides, you guys are in my sphere of influence. And I'm in your sphere of influence. Making a difference for everyone begins with being a difference for someone. It begins with serving a friend or a neighbor in need. We, of course, are preached uh, on or about or to. We don't need to bicker among ourselves. Man, we should flow in sync. As Bishop has mentioned, we should have that harmony together. All right? Every once in a while, yeah, Sister Leslie, a string breaks. A cord, uh, uh, electric uh, transistor blows, and you don't get that D-flat. Thank goodness for us guitar players. We don't like D-flat. <laughs> Neither do we. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Every once in a while, something like that happens, but we can pray about it and get back in that harmony and that spirit. Okay? So we are, that goes without said. We need to be brothers and sisters. We need to minister to each other. But I'm talking out there, too. One of the gravest, greatest illustrations of servanthood, and you can stand, is found in John 13. After sharing a meal with his disciples, they, we call it the Last Supper, Jesus uh, unrobed, he took a towel, he took his cloth, he got a basin of water, he went and washed their feet. The, the disciples. Now, be known that before you enter a, a dwelling, you already have washed and rinsed your feet off and clean. But he went to the table. He went around there. And he, that was not the washing. It was the washing of him getting down on his knees. And then what did he say when he got up? Do the same. Do this one to another. If, if you don't do anything else, when we have prayer foot washing, we did that not a few weeks ago. It's that you're serving somebody. You are serving somebody. You are ministering to them. You guys, that's the, it's almost, I know it sounds backwards. That's like the easiest thing to do is to get down on your knees and wash somebody's feet. But to go pick them up out of a ditch, to heal their wounds, to give them food and clothing, to pay for their groceries, that's the hard part. The washing the feet is the easy part. But he also knows that's the most humbling part as well. And that's why he wants us to be a servant. Peter, man, you know, Peter, he's a, in, this, in this chosen thing, he's a spitfire. You're gonna, never going to wash my feet. But he didn't understand what Jesus was doing that. This was much more than about cleaning feet. Jesus was preparing to shed his blood on the cross. And when he finished making his way around the table, he asked them, and I just mentioned, do you know what I just did for you? We don't know what their reaction was. They might have been in shock. They might have been in disbelief. But he told them, wash one another's. One thing is for certain that the disciples did grasp Jesus' message. They spent their lives serving each other. Some went to the extreme parts of their sphere of influence, their world. Some even died as martyrs. Philippians says in 2 verses 5 and 7, it, it says this. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Let this mind be in you that which was also in Christ Jesus who made, no, made himself of no reputation, but he took upon him the form of a servant. May, be, may we be willing to go and do the same. 
So I said this earlier, and I want to reiterate this. And I want to close with this. Serving others means telling them about Jesus. Like the book of Acts, believers, we are also called to turn the world upside down. Now I'm going to get super serious. Are you turning the world upside down? Are you turning our church, the congregation, upside down? Where is your, where are you pointing your influence? Do you want to be great here or do you want to be a servant out there? So we have to understand that. We don't want to get ever caught up in that. Are we trying to impress each other? I've done this or that. Are we trying to get points with bishop or points with pastor? Like the disciples are trying to get, hey, let me over here. I've done this, I've done that. Or are we concerned with this world? And it's the world that we should be concerned about in Jesus' name. Why don't we lift our hands as we begin to go into worship. Thank you, God. Lord, I love you, God. Touch my mind and my heart. To heal my breathing, I will ever love and trust. Persian Gulf, my wife was in Durham, North Carolina, Brother Godair's church up there, and he preached a message about the greatest cure-all, the greatest cure-all, and it's the Holy Ghost, we know that, 
But what do you do? How to get over anything in your life? Surrender all. I have a problem with surrender it. I have trouble doing it. Surrender it. That's the greatest cure-all. Another minister pre as a funnel. God, pour everything into my life. Whatever. I'm going to give you everything in my life. I surrender it all. And he's going to strain everything out and give you what you need, what you have. Surrender everything today. As we go into prayer this morning, surrender to God. In Jesus' name, thank you so much for sticking around a few extra minutes with us.